Father, we come before you today. We thank you for the blessings of the Sabbath. We thank you for just an awesome feast we just experienced just a few days ago, a week ago. We pray, Father, for those not here today, for those sick, for those not doing well, you would certainly be with them. We uh, pray for this assembly, that your blessings would always be upon it, that you would always give, give us wisdom and discretion with your word. And Father, we just thank you for every blessing you've poured out upon us. And, and uh, we, we certainly are very, very grateful for all that you've done. And we ask all this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Y'all may be seated. It is uh, good to be here. You know, I wasn't going to mention that, Jose, but I, I feel like I must now. There's a, something called a, a Hezekiah's Tunnel. And um, I wasn't going to get into this, but since he mentioned it, it really is an awesome thing to do. So uh, first trip I went to uh, Israel, we saw it, but we didn't do it. So you can actually go into the uh, Hezekiah's Tunnel, the Gihon Spring, and you can walk from there underneath the city of David all the way to the Pool of Siloam. Really is a great experience. I forget how long it is, but it's, I don't know, maybe um, maybe a 30, 40-minute walk and um, ankle to knee high water through the Gihon Spring. It really is a phenomenal experience. So, so that's the plug for the Gihon Spring and the uh, Hezekiah's Tunnel there. I wanted to uh, just say uh, before I get into the message, it, it was really a great feast. And uh, I, I really, I think, uh, we've had three here, I think, and I think it was probably the best feast we've had yet here. And just phenomenal, just remarkable people this year. And the volunteers were just incredible. And I really, really appreciate all those who volunteered to make this feast special. And I'm not going to mention names because I'm always afraid to forget one. But uh, you know who you are. So I'd like to really thank everybody who made this feast so special, especially for those who had daily duties. And uh, again, you know who you are. And uh, just because everybody's effort really makes the feast special. And it really was one for the record books. So I'd like to thank everybody for that. I'd also like to share a few things. This is from our e-news. I thought I'd just to share a few comments here, just in case you don't get our e-news. If you don't, I would encourage you to go to wiram.org. You can sign up for e-news there. But um, here's one comment. It says, this has been the most uplifting time I have ever had. Uh, the organization has a down-to-earth feeling. And, you know, I've always tried to maintain that here, down-to-earth, and, and uh, glad people see that. Uh, and it was a pure spiritual enjoyment. The education in Yahweh and his divine way for us has drawn me and my family even closer to him. Great comment. And uh, another one here is, uh, it was a joy to be here. We loved the feast, enjoyed the stay in the room, interacting with others. Uh, another one was appreciate the children's classes for my little, little guy. Uh, I love that he can have an age-appropriate experience with learning about the Bible. And, um, of course, I'll, I'll throw this in a, a plug from my wife here, I guess, but I never go hungry. The salad bar was amazing, and it, it, it always is amazing. Uh, great messages from speakers. Enjoy the variety. So that's always a good thing to hear. But anyway, I could go through. I mean, if, if you haven't seen these, go to wiram.org. You can click on our e-news. And if you're not getting that, I'd, I'd encourage you to go there anyway and sign up for that because we do a weekly e-news. And it really, though, was a, a, just a great, great feast. And um, I'm already looking forward to the uh, next year's feast. Normally, I'm a little bit more tired, but I have to admit... Um, it was just a very, uh, you know, sometimes I just have more issues to deal with. And this year, just everybody was just great. And uh, it made the feast better better for everybody, I think. So, so again, just thank everybody for all their hard work. It was a phenomenal uh, feast. Now, I'm going to be speaking about Hezekiah today. And you may notice this is not the fruits of the Spirit. I haven't given up on that. Uh, but I was unable to put together a full message uh, for this uh, Sabbath being so close to the feast, so this is, we're going to pick that up next uh, message. So with that, let's talk a little bit about Hezekiah, and I want to begin by talking about something we see on the slide here, and if you can see, there's a circular object, this is a clay, it's called a clay bulla, and it's a clay seal, and uh, you can see it on the screen here. In 2015, during the, what they call the awful uh, excavations, this, this seal along with 33 others were found in, in the city of David, where actually it says along the southern wall of the Temple Mount, and uh, between that and the uh, city of David on the Ophel. And uh, the inscription, as you can see on this slide here, if you recognize it, is written in Paleo Hebrew, and it reads, belonging to Hezekiah, now son of, is, is inserted, but it was there, just they had to reconstruct this. So it would have said in the beginning, belonging to Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah. So here we find an actual clay bullet or a seal attesting to the uh, life of Hezekiah. 
Also provides historical evidence, obviously, for the Bible, so really it's a great find. So what do we know about this man? What do we know about King Hezekiah? Number one, we know that he was one of the greatest kings within the history of of, uh, Judah. Uh, Through his love for Yahweh, a nation, he was able to restore proper worship like really nobody else, and maybe the close second, I think, would be King Josiah, which we're not going to refer to or talk talk about today. I may refer to him a few times, but we're going to focus on uh, Hezekiah. Now, it's important to sort of understand Hezekiah's, um, Hezekiah's uh, position, what he had to deal with and when he took the throne. And uh, before Hezekiah, we have another man named King Ahaz. This was his father. And Ahaz, as we know scripturally, he did what was evil in Yahweh's eyes. He did not follow Yahweh in, in really any way. And the guy was just horrible in so many ways. And we're going to refer to some of that. As a matter of fact, I want to begin by talking about King Ahaz, talking about what his father was like so that we understand sort of the mess that Hezekiah inherited when he took the throne after his father's death. So let's, let's do that. So uh, first, uh, Second Kings uh, 16, and uh, 1 through 4, says, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramali, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. So this is, again, referring to the beginning of his reign. Ahaz is his 20 years old, was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So not a real long reign, but he did a lot of damage during his time. And it goes on to say, and he did that which was, and he did not that which was right in the sight of Yahweh, his Elohim, like David, his father, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. And and by the way, the kings of Israel were just detestable. They, They really were. Everything you could imagine is wrong, they did. Yea, and made his sons to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen, whom Yahweh cast out from before the children of Israel, and he sacrificed and burnt offering incense in the high places and on the hills and every green tree. So, based on what we find here, how would you rank Ahaz as a king? How would you rank this man as a king? And on, a ra- on a range 1 through 10, uh, 1 being the worst, I'd probably say about a negative 20. Everything you can imagine is wrong, this man did. Let's just consider just some of the few examples. We can actually see other things, too. He consulted sorcerers and all kinds of horrible things in other passages. But we're going to focus just what we see here. The description here. This is from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Very good reference. And here's a description it has within it. It says, The image of Moloch was of a human figure with a bull's head and outstretched arms, ready to receive the children's destined for sacrifice. The image of metal was heated, red hot, by a fire kindled within, and the children laid on its arms, rolled off into the fiery pit below. In order to drown the cries of the victims, flutes were played, drums were beaten, and mothers stood by without tears or sobs to give the impression of the voluntary character of the offering. Now there's not even words to describe the atrocity and the barbaric nature of the sacrifice we find here of the worship we see here. It was nothing short than the murder of innocent children, something that Yahweh absolutely abhorred within his word. And, you know, we can find other references to this. They would do this, by the way, near the uh, Valley of Hinnom, right there in the city of Jerusalem. You know, in many ways, this reminds me of what we see with abortion today. There's no regard for human life. And Yahweh finds abortion as abominable as he does this. You know, we also see here that he sacrificed in the high places, it says. Yahweh says, don't do that. In the hills and under every green tree. I think there's a connection to every green tree to the Asherah here, which was another form of pagan worship. Now, knowing all this, you can only imagine how Yahweh must have viewed Judah at this point in time. And also the mess that Judah was in. So the reason this is important is because this is the, the situation. This was the environment, if you will, that Hezekiah was walking into as king. So this is what he was going to have to deal with as king. Every mistake that his father had made, the abominations, the false worship that his father instituted within the nation of Judah, now is his issue and something he is going to have to deal with. So how did he do it? Well, let's look at how he dealt with this. So 2 Kings 18, 1 through 3. So we're going to begin there. It says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty-five years old. So he reigned, a little bit older than his dad, but still very young. So he's 25 when he began to reign. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. He reigned much longer, though, than his father, as we see here. His mother's name was also as Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. 
And he did that which was right in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that David his father did. So let's talk about a few things we see here. Number one, as we already know, when, when Hezekiah took the throne, the nation of Judah was in a state of apostasy. His father, again, just ruined, polluted the nation of Judah. And as we saw in the previous passage, his father literally committed every sin under the sun and caused the people of Judah to sin in great ways. Now listen, it wasn't just minor ways. It wasn't just minor sin. These are major sins, major reforms that would be required, horrible atrocities, again, including the worship of Moloch. And you know, I always emphasize that, but I think I do it for a reason, because the worship of Moloch was, was especially abominable. It was just horrifying. And yet his father embraced this. We see here that he took the throne at the age of 25. Now, can you imagine being 25 years old and having to deal with the mess that we find here within this passage? You know, I, I know how hard it is to be a young, young minister. I was ordained as a deacon in my mid-20s. As a, before that, even, largely doing the work of a full-fledged minister. And um, you know, I can't imagine, though, the position of Hezekiah here. It wasn't easy in my position, but... but Instead of just a small growing assembly, Hezekiah had an entire nation deep in apostasy and sin. So how would a man overcome these obstacles? Well, the Bible says that he did what was right in the sight of Yahweh. That's that's where he began. He did what was right in the sight of Yahweh, according, it says, to all that David did. Now, David was not his father. We know that it was his forefather, if you will, but not his father. Not only did he, do, do we see here that he did what was right, but he's also compared to David. And I believe this is something we should notice. You know, I believe the comparison here is something very special. David was the most beloved king within Israel's history. I don't believe that there's another king more noteworthy than King David. Now, David made some mistakes. We know that. He made some bad mistakes. But nonetheless, he is still the standard, I believe, of what it means to live for Yahweh. David was an incredible man. And the fact that Hezekiah is compared to David here just shows how great he was, how great Hezekiah was. Because again, it says, just as Yahweh, just as, just as David did what was right, so did Hezekiah. You know, as we'll see later, there was really no one like him. Morally, devotionally, he stood above the rest. And that's something I think we can see with, within Scripture. Now, starting at verse 4, we find a description of this man's character. So I want to begin there in verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 7. It says he removed, so notice immediately what he begins to do. He doesn't take a break. He doesn't wait. No, he immediately says he removed the high places, break the images, cut down the groves. You see Asherah, another pagan worship, actually a very horrible form of pagan worship. I, I can't even describe it with the mixed company with kids in the room. It was that bad. And break in pieces a brazen serpent that Moses had made for unto those days the children of Israel burnt, it did burn incense to it. And, it. and he called it, he trusted in Yahweh Elohim of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he claved to Yahweh. He claved. This, there was an intimacy, I believe, there between, between Hezekiah and Yahweh. He claved to Yahweh. And departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which Yahweh commanded Moses. And Yahweh was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. You know, as we see here, the devotion that we find with this man was second to none. His focus was on restoring pure worship. So what did he do? Well, he began by removing the high places, by breaking down the altars, by removing the Asherahs. Again, these were, uh, well, they were phallic symbols made of wood, and they cut those down. In addition, we also see here that he broke in pieces of brazen serpent that Moses made. We find here that the people had turned this into an idol. So once this happened, he had to remove it. Now, this is a very small part of the reforms he actually made. We're going to see as we go through this message other things that he did. Because, again, this, this man was an incredible man. The, the, the restoration that happened under his reign was, was phenomenal. It also says here that he trusted in Yahweh. I want to focus on this for just a moment. He trusted in Yahweh. What does it mean to trust in Yahweh? Well, this word comes from the Hebrew Bartok and means to trust, be confident, or sure. 
I think another word for this might be faith. He had faith in Yahweh. He had absolute confidence in the one he worshipped. You know, when I ask, do we trust or have faith in Yahweh's Hezekiah did here? Do we have this same level of faith as, as he showed during his ministry? Are we confident knowing he will save us in times of challenge, in times of tribulation, in times of hardship, that we can rely on him, realizing that, you know, sometimes he doesn't always give us the answer. But whatever answer he gives, knowing and having faith that he is answering according to his will. You know, I can tell you this, Hezekiah had this level of faith. And for that reason, we find here that, that he would not go along, and we're going to see more about this later, but with the king of, king of Assyria. You know, he knew that there was nothing he could not do if Yahweh was with him. And I believe that's an important lesson for us, for us to realize that there is nothing we cannot do if Yahweh is with us. You know, think about the level of trust it would require to restore an apostate nation. You know, consider the work involved, the effort that it would take to restore an apostate nation. You know, as many of you know, telling people they're wrong and removing false worship is not easy. Believe me, in this situation, many people react with aggression. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear why they're wrong. They have no no uh, motivation to change. Whereas we see here, this was not a big concern for Hezekiah. Hezekiah was determined. And he was in the right position, but he also had the right faith. He had faith and trust in Yahweh that he can see him, would see him through this, this, uh, this again, this removal of sin on a national level. Now it goes on to say here that, he, that there was never a king in the history of Judah like this man, like King Hezekiah. You know, as we saw in verse 3, he was compared to King David. You know, in fact... Next to David, Hezekiah is probably the best and most noteworthy king within Israel's history. The only other king, again, that would probably come close would be Josiah. You know, I, I really love Josiah, and I uh, generally uh, talk about Josiah when I talk about Hezekiah, but Josiah took the, uh, took the throne at the age of eight, by the way, so he was really young, but he waited a few years before he took, uh, began his reforms, but he too was a great man, and and uh, was against uh, impossible odds, and, and he succeeded. But again, it was, it was because he trusted and had faith in Yahweh. Now again, King Hezekiah was special because he had faith, and he served Yahweh with all his heart. And because of this, it says here that this man prospered. This man prospered in whatever he did. Now while we're not real big on the whole health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, as they call it, it's true, though, that if, we're, if we follow Yahweh, that if we put him first, Generally, we're blessed. I think there's a lot of truth to that. We actually see a promise in Malachi 3. Yahweh says that if you, you know, give what belongs to me in tithes and offerings, he says, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing where you, it's going to be more than you can receive. So he does promise blessings. And we see here that Hezekiah was blessed in a big way. I want to continue looking at how this man reformed the nation of Judah. I want to skip over now to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 29. And uh, begin there with verse 1. Well, as you know, Kings and Chronicles, they provide many of the same accounts and uh, in more or less detail in some cases. So I want to look at this. We see some more information here that we don't see in Kings. So Second Chronicles, I don't have the uh, verbiage on the slide. So if you want to follow me, you can um, certainly uh, follow uh, with your Bibles or you can listen. But Second Chronicles 29, and we're going to begin there in verse 1. And we're going to read down to verse 11. It says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old. So again, 25. And he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abiah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of Yahweh, according to all that David his father had done. So again, we see a reference to David. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month. So notice that. How long did this man wait before he began his reforms? Not very long. It says in the first year, in the first month of his reign, he opened the doors of the house of Yahweh and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together in the east street and said unto them, Hear me, you Levites. Sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of Yahweh, Elohim of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of Yahweh, or Elohim, and have forsaken him 
and have turned away their faces from the habitation of Yahweh and turned their backs. And they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the Elohim of Israel. They basically shut the doors to the temple here. They shut the doors. It was inactive during this time. Verse 8 says, Wherefore the wrath of Yahweh was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble and to astonishment and to hissing, as you see with your eyes. For lo, your fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. There's always punishment for sin, and he recognized that. Verse 10, now it is in mine heart. For just, just contemplate that statement for just a moment. He's saying it's in mine heart. This is something that he wanted to do. There's no forcing here. There's no, there's no pushing him to do this. This is something that he sincerely wants to do. You know, that's a sign of a true believer, by the way, when we want to do it from our own heart. You know, if we're not doing it from our own heart, I'm telling you, telling you now, we're wasting our time. You know, I've, I've known some ministers, they try to control people because they want to see people do the right thing. Or if we're not doing the right thing because it's from our own heart, we're wasting our time. So it needs to be from our own heart as we see here, as we see from Hezekiah. So verse 10 again, it says, Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with Yahweh Elohim of Israel that his fierce wrath may be turned away from us. My sons, be not now diligent, for Yahweh hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister unto him and burn incense. Now, we saw in the previous passage that Hezekiah again began his reign at 25 years old. We see that here. So again, this man was a fairly young man and had a lot to uh, deal with with his father what he did the mess he left now as a side note if you do the math we see there he reigned 29 years that means he probably died at 54 years old so he died in our terms fairly young of course i don't think that was true back then now as a king he accomplished great things great great things did this man do But the most important of all his accomplishments, I believe, is what we find right here within this passage. He began by restoring and purifying the temple, fixing the doors, removing that which offended, restoring proper worship. And as we see here, he started this in the first month of his reign. There was no wasting time. There was no delay you know, I believe that this is a great example for us. You know, how many of us procrastinate or hesitate when we know we should be doing something different? Or probably many of us. You know, for example, once we understood the Sabbath, how long did it take us for, to, to embrace it, to follow it, to fully, to fully comply with what Yahweh says? Did we respond immediately or did we push it off for years or longer? You know, as believers, we need to be more like Hezekiah and make Yahweh and his worship are first priority. And that's something that we can contemplate even if we're in this room. Even if we're doing what is right week to week, we can always be better. We can always do more, I believe, to put Yahweh first, to put his word first. But we know the sad reality is not everybody's going to do this. The majority, matter of fact, will not. And we know that the majority will not. They will never devote their lives completely over to Yahweh, as Hezekiah did here. And yeah, it's kind of an important concept to understand. We were talking about that in the Bible study today, how it's important to recognize that some people, they will never accept the faith. And it's not good to even expend energy, in some cases, or aggravation, trying to woo these people to the faith. It's good to realize that some will simply not Listen, some will not comply. Some will never accept it. And in those moments, we need to simply go on and continue to preach and witness Yahweh's truth. And the other thing was mentioned real quick is probably noteworthy in this message is Yahweh's the one that opens the eyes. We can't do that. You know, over the years, a question that I've gotten quite a bit is, you know, why can't my so-and-so see it? You know, whether that be your son, daughter, or husband, whatever. I mean, why can't they see it? And 
You know, you preach to them, you show them, it's black and white, you pull out the dictionaries, and, you know, why can't they see it? Well, I believe that unless Yahweh's calling, you know, there, it doesn't matter what we do. So it's an important lesson to keep in mind that, you know, Yahweh's the one that has to bring the increase. You know, we can plant the seeds, we can share the truth, but whether they're going to respond to us is, is not up to us. That's up to Yahweh. He has a plan. Now, we also see here that Hezekiah, he understood the impact of sin. He realized the faults of his forefathers and why they were suffering. He knew that to make things right, what he had to do, and, and what he had to do was to make things right with his Father in heaven, to purge again, worship, to make it right. So as we see here, he commanded the Levites to clean up and restore the temple. You know, Paul in the New Testament confirms that today we are the temple of Yahweh through the Holy Spirit, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, just as it was important for Hezekiah to restore the temple, this is a good reminder for us because, again, we are that temple. So it's important for us to remember that, that we need to make sure that our temples are clean and free from those things that would offend or pollute Yahweh's temple today. Now, from Second Chronicles 30, starting at verse 1, we find that Hezekiah was also concerned about worship. So again, he just got done finishing and purging and cleansing the temple. Now he's focused on worship. So let's read about this. Second Chronicles 30, 1 through 5, and also 10 through 12, it says, And Hezekiah sent all Israel and Judah. So notice that first. He sent letters or messengers to Israel and Judah. We're going to talk more about that as we go on, but I want you to notice that. And wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of Yahweh, Jerusalem, to keep the Passover unto Yahweh, Elohim of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princesses and all the congregation in Israel to keep the Passover in the second month. You see, they missed it, the first one. So they're, they're falling back on the second month. It says, for they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves uh, sufficiently. Neither had the people gathered themselves together in Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregations, so they established a decree to make proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba even to Dan. And Dan, for those who don't know, tell Dan this is at the very utmost uh, northern border of Israel. So they traveled all the way up to the uh, city of Dan, all the way up north, that they should come to keep the Passover unto Yahweh Elohim of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not done, so, done it of a long time in such a sort as it was written. Moving on, verse 10, I think it was. It said, The posts passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even unto Zebulun. But they laughed. They laughed at them to scorn, it says, and mocked them. Nevertheless, the verse of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem also in Judah. The hand of Elohim was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princesses by the word of Yahweh. You know, as we saw in the previous passage, Hezekiah began by cleaning and purging the temple. He realized that the first focus was to restore worship. And the way you do that is you restore the temple. And he restored the priesthood, by the way. We see that as well, that he, he made sure that the priests were sanctified, that they were cleansed, because without priests, there is no worship. So they had to remove that which offended from the temple. And then they had to reestablish the priesthood, which we find within Scripture. Where after this was done, we see then that he focused somewhere else, that he focused on the feast days, that he focused on Passover and the feast. We see here that he sent letters, it says, to Israel and to Judah. It also says, makes reference to Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh, most will say, represents the ten northern tribes. You know, remember, at this point, there was a division in Israel. After the death of Solomon, Rehoboam took the throne. And during the reign of Rehoboam, Israel split. He had Benjamin and Judah. They stayed in the south with Rehoboam, and then Jeroboam, which was an official of Solomon, which fled during Solomon's reign, but he took the other remaining tribes, and that was the ten northern tribes, as we see now and as we know of in Scripture. So there's been a split, and the split has continued 
on throughout history. Of course, the ten northern tribes are scattered today. But we see here that Hezekiah did something very special. Hezekiah, Hezekiah, we find here that he sent out messengers, messengers throughout not only Judah, but also Israel, all the way up to Tel Dan, to the northernmost tip of the land of Israel, asking them to come, to share, to worship during the Passover and the feast. Now, how did the people respond to the messengers? What, what does the Bible say? How did the people respond? For the most part, the messengers were laughed at. They were mocked. They were made fun of. You know, what's amazing is that this same response is what we often see today. Some things never change. The vast majority of people out there are simply not interested. They're not interested in hearing the truth. They instead rather follow their own man-made tradition. They rather continue to do whatever their fathers or grandfathers did before them without regard to their creator because it's more comfortable, it's easier. And it is easier. But Yahweh wants more than that. He demands more than that. You know, as we know, Solomon said that there was nothing new under the sun. He said, what has been will be again. And again, we see the same thing today. This isn't anything new. Now, even though most declined Hezekiah's invite, we find here that some were faithful. Some, it says, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem, came to the south from Israel to worship Yahweh. It says here that some from Asher, Manasseh, Zebulun, came to worship Yahweh during the Passover and the feast. You know, this is a lesson for us. Even though the majority will never come, there will always be a few who will listen. And we see that here. We, you know, we have such wonderful people here and great, again, people at the feast. So we, we are reaching out, and, and some are responding. But, you know, it really is amazing because this ministry reaches, you know, thousands of people. The reach on YouTube and Facebook and just what we do locally and other ways. And yet, out of our efforts, only a very small fraction of people ever respond and stay with it. And that's just the way it is. And this is, by the way, the difference between being called, I believe, and chosen. You know, there are many people being called today. Scripture says that many are called. It also says, but, but only a few are chosen. And I think we see that even today in the numbers, not only here in this ministry, but also other ministries and other assemblies like ours, advocating the same principles in many ways. In many ways, you know, there's, again, only a very small number that will ever stay with it and produce fruit. Now, even though only a few came, we find in Scripture that it was a remarkable Passover and feast. I want to read about that. So 2 Chronicles 30, 26 through 27. So listen to what it says here. It says, so there was great joy in Jerusalem. This is really remarkable when you think about it. It says, for since the time of Solomon, since Solomon, now, I'm going to give you the math on that in just a moment. It's going to probably mean more to you when you realize how long that was. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem observing the Passover and the feast. It was such an such a awesome experience, such a great time. But they had not experienced something like this since Solomon, it says. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. You know, as we see here, Judah had not experienced a blessing, it says like this, since the reign of King Solomon. Now, let me give you some, some math. This is going to mean more once you realize the duration of time. It's roughly 255 years between Hezekiah and Solomon. That's a pretty big time gap. We're taught 200, over 200 years you know, if nothing else, we see here that this marked a high point that had not been seen within Israel within a quarter of a millennia. You know, we can trace it all back, by the way, to one man, I believe, and that is Hezekiah. Hezekiah, of course, Yahweh's uh, blessings, but it was Hezekiah's unwavering faith and leadership that allowed for this reformation, that allowed for this revival, that allowed for, for such a great Passover and feast. You know, it's amazing the difference good leadership makes within a nation or an assembly. You know, I believe this is why Yahweh has such stringent qualifications for ministers 
for those who minister in the word. You know, as Paul states in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, it says there that an elder minister bishop, it says, must be above reproach or blameless. You see, not everybody can, not anybody can just minister. This is why character along with family and, and even things like marital status matters with those in the ministry. They need, they must set an example. You know, whether we're talking about an assembly, a business, or even a large nation like what we see here with Hezekiah, leadership makes all the difference. Through Hezekiah's leadership, Judah was tremendously blessed. But it wasn't because of someone in Judah, someone else. It was because of Hezekiah and his extraordinary leadership. He, again, led the nation through one of his greatest revivals. You know, as I... As I've mentioned already, the only other king in Judah's history that came close to Hezekiah was King Josiah. Now, he, he, he too did some really wonderful things within the nation of uh, Judah, but, but not like Hezekiah, not, not in the same, same way in, in many ways. If not for this man and his strong devotion to Yahweh, none of this would have happened. And who knows what would have happened, or what, would have, what may have happened, probably happened, I believe historically, is, is uh, Judah would have been taken into captivity just like Israel was. But because Hezekiah followed Yahweh, he put Yahweh first, he was blessed. And so was the nation of Judah. Now the same cannot be said about the nation of Israel, their northern kingdom. It was during the reign of Hezekiah when the northern tribes were taken captive into Assyria. I want to read about this. 2 Kings, 2 Kings 8, 9 through 12. It says, and it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of the three years, they took it, even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that in the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And the king of Assyria did carry away Israel into Assyria and put them in Hala and in Habor by the river Gozen. And in the cities of Medes, because they obeyed not, it says, the voice of Yahweh their Elohim, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded, and would not hear them nor do them. So here we find Israel's rebellion. So why do you suppose Yahweh allowed Israel to be taken into Assyrian captivity? Or again, it's real simple. They were not obeying the commandments. They were guilty of apostasy. They were in rebellion. To Almighty Yahweh. Unlike Judah, which had a few good kings, the northern kingdom had all bad kings. And it's really something else when you think about it. All the kings within Israel, I've never counted the kings. I'm sure somebody here knows the number of kings within, within Israel's history. But when they split, they had many, many kings. Not one good king. Jeroboam set the standard. We, uh, all know about Jeroboam. Jeroboam committed several infractions, including changing worship. Remember that he changed the feast from the seventh to the eighth month. He also made priests the lowest of the people. And uh, worst thing is he put a golden camp, one in Bethel and one in Dan, to represent Yahweh so that they could worship and would not go back to Jerusalem. So he, he committed a, or multiple infractions, abominations, and and. Israel's kings never recovered. And that's really something we think about it. All those kings, but not one king did what was right in Yahweh's eyes. They were all sinners, and they all went after their own ways. And because of that, we see here that they were taken into captivity. You know, in some ways, I think there's a lesson here for us. What do you think is going to happen if we continue as a nation down the path we're going morally? You know, if nothing changes, I believe Yahweh's judgment will eventually fall upon this nation. And I think it's beginning to now. You know, if Yahweh's judgment is not already passed, and we continue without ever repenting as a nation, I do believe that there will be consequences to our sin. You know, it's not hard to see many of the thrusts facing this nation. I'm not going to dwell on this, but here are some of what I see. Families and this nation are in turmoil. You look at the family structure in this nation, and it's, it's not what it once was. It's just in, it's in shambles. 
you know, as far as the divine order, you know, the father being shown respect, the children being being obedient. You just or, or just even having a mother and father at home. Families are in shambles. Morality is at an all-time low. Immorality and sin, though I believe as many ways is at an all-time high. You know, this is especially true with the acceptance of the perversion we see in the, the LBGTQ community. I mean, the perversion and the horrifying atrocities. And yet there's widespread agreement and acceptance of this of these sins, as if it's something normal and should be accepted. You know, the other thing that concerns me, too, is our national debt. I think it's unstable and unsustainable in many ways. Now, we know that Hezekiah, he had his own challenges as a, as a king. I'm going to read about some of those. So after the Assyrians were done with the northern kingdom, we find that they shifted their focus on the nation of Judah. So how did... How would Hezekiah respond? Well, let's read about this encounter. I want to first read an account here. This is uh, from a, an official from the Assyrian army. So turn with me if you would, or, or again, just listen in. But a 2 Kings 18, and we're going to read 28 through 37. So 2 Kings 18, 28 through 37. So Rabshakeh, this is the uh, Assyrian official here. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language. So he spoke Hebrew and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Zanacharib is who he's referring to. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in Yahweh, saying, Yahweh will surely deliver us in this city, shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and then eat you every man of his own vine, and every one of his own fig tree, and drink ye every one the water of his cistern. Until I come and take you away, to a land like your own land, a land of corn, of wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, olive, and of honey, that you may live and not die, and hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuades you, saying, Yahweh will deliver us. This is propaganda, by the way. Verse 33 says, Hath any of the mighty ones of the nations delivered all at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the mighty ones of Hamath, of Orphpad? Where are the mighty ones of Sepharvim, Hina, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hands? Samaria, by the way, this was, this was the ten northern tribes, just in case you don't know. Verse 35, who are they among all the mighty ones of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand? And Yahweh shall deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. Then came Elakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household of Shibna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, to Hezekiah with her clothes rent and told him the words of Rabshakeh. Now, who was this Rabshakeh? This was a messenger sent from Zanacharib, king of Assyria. We see here he's, he is this propaganda. He's playing mind games with the people of Judah. And instead of speaking, number one, in the Syrian language, we find him using the Hebrew language, the, the language of the Jews. Now, why would he do this? Well, he wanted those who were there, he wanted them to hear he wanted them to understand the message. He wanted to persuade them to come over to the king of Assyria, to relent, to give up, to recognize there is no hope. He promised that if they would, if they would follow Zanacharib, 
that their, their lives would be spared, that they would have food to eat until they would be moved to a different land. You see, the Assyrians, they had a strategy, and others would use this too, but the Assyrians did this frequently. They would conquer a nation, then they would take the people from that nation, and they would relocate them to somewhere else. And here's the reason why they did this. They did this to to make them assimilate within a foreign culture. You see, if you take a people out, you put them in a different land, a different religion, a different culture, they change. They will, they will accept, they will adapt, and they will then be loyal to the king. So that's why they would do this. They would move them. And that's why, by the way, the ten northern tribes were moved. They were taken and they were relocated to a different land. And, of course, many claim they know where they're at, but, but uh, most will say they were lost to history when this occurred. Now, how did the people of Judah respond, though, to this man's message? Did they bow down? Did they swear their allegiance to this king of Assyria, to Zennacherib? No. The Bible says here that they said not a word, according to Hezekiah's command. So Hezekiah told them, don't say anything. Don't respond. Don't say a word when they come with their propaganda. He did what any good leader would in Hezekiah's case. And we see his response in 2 Kings 19. 2 Kings 19, 1 through 7. So how did, how did Hezekiah respond? Realize, by the way, realize that uh, the Assyrians, they were a major, major force. They had already conquered Samaria, the northern kingdom. They conquered multiple kingdoms before this. They were a military might. And very few, if any, could oppose the Syrian, the Assyrian army. Certainly not small little Judah. But we find here that Hezekiah did just that. So here's what it says, 2 Kings 19, 1-7. It says, It came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of Yahweh. And he sent Elohim which was over the household in Shivna, the scribe and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Isaiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be Yahweh the Elohim will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living Elohim, and will reprove the words which... Yahweh thy Elohim hath heard. Wherefore lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say to your master, Thus saith Yahweh, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him. And he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and it will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So notice the first thing Hezekiah did here. He rent his clothes, he covered himself in sackcloth, and made his officials do the same. This was a symbol of mourning and humility. He humbled himself before Yahweh. You see, he recognized that Yahweh was the only answer. He recognized that he himself could do nothing and that he was totally and utterly dependent upon Yahweh's providence. After this, he then sent some of his most trusted men to seek out Isaiah the prophet and to explain to Isaiah the situation and to receive a word from Yahweh. You know, I believe that this is a great example for us. What do you suppose, or what do you suppose would be the equivalent of this today? You know, when we have moments of concern, how do we respond? What do we do? Or we should first do what we see here. I'm not necessarily suggesting we put our sackcloth on, but we should pray to Yahweh. We should humble ourselves before him. Maybe we should fast. You know, fasting is always a good idea, especially for for real uh, issues of concern. You know, it's amazing how Yahweh can turn things around if we simply look to him. You know, but so often we don't do this. You know, so often we just don't first consider 
the first thing to do is to turn to Yahweh. We instead look for a solution on our own. And, you know, I've shared this with you in the past. I'm guilty of this. I'm just, you know, I, I, I like to fix things. You know, whether it's people or situations, I like to fix things. I like to bring solutions and harmony and peace and that sort of thing. Sometimes, instead of trying to come up with a solution on our own, so I'm preaching to myself too at this point, we need to first go to Yahweh in prayer and give us some time. You know, sometimes, Yahweh, we need some time to work things out, to, work, to, uh, to, to bring a solution. Sometimes the best course of action is to simply give it over to Yahweh and have faith in his great mercy and provision. Because believe me, if it's within Yahweh's will, he can and will provide. Now, the fact is, there's nothing beyond his ability. We know that. You know, we know that, but do we really know that? Do we believe that? I know we know it. You know, academically, I think if I would ask everybody in this room, is there anything beyond Yahweh's ability? I would get all the same. No, nothing's beyond. But do we really believe that? Do you understand the difference? Do we believe that? Do we believe that there's really nothing beyond Yahweh's ability? You know, if he chooses to help, there's nothing that's going to stop or prevent that from, from happening. You know, Satan can try. But Satan can outpower Yahweh. You know, he's the greatest being in this universe without equal. And everything is within his control, even Satan. You know, remember Job, you know, he uh, wanted to test Job, and, but he had to get approval first. He couldn't just do it because Yahweh had put a hedge of protection around him. So, so he couldn't, that, that was off limits. So what was Isaiah's response to Hezekiah's men? Where he begins here by telling them not to be afraid. Don't be concerned. You know, this reminds me of what Yahweh told Joshua after the death of Moses. Now, think about it. You know, I'm not going to give a message on Joshua, but, you know, we all know Joshua. And, and uh, this is the man that was going to bring Israel into, into the promised land. And he had some major, major opposition to face. And he knew that. And that's why I think during his uh, time as a leader that Yahweh immediately tells Joshua to be strong and of good courage. Or we find the same message here with Isaiah. He's telling the people to be strong and of good courage. You know, as believers, we should, we should not be people of fear. But we should be people of courage, people of strength. Because, again, we have a, 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 a Father in Heaven backing us in some really great ways. You know, as long as we're following Yahweh, we should always remember who's supporting us. Isaiah goes on here to say that the king of Assyria, Zanakrib, is going to receive judgment from on high. He's going to hear a rumor, he's going to go back home, and he's going to die in his own land. So let's read about this prophecy and see how it all came to happen. 2 Kings 19, 32-37, it says, Therefore thus saith Yahweh concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it at all. Before it was Shilly, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into the city, saith Yahweh. And I will defend the city and save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it shall come to pass that night that the angel of Yahweh went out. So notice this the angel of Yahweh. Now, who do we believe the angel of Yahweh is? We believe this is probably the pre existent Messiah fighting for Israel of old. And, you know, some people say, how in the world could this be Yahshua wiping out this army? Or what do you think Yahshua's going to do when he returns to this earth? Well, he's going to do precisely that. He's going to come and he's going to fight against all the armies of the earth who, who comes against Jerusalem, his people. It's precisely what he's going to do. I lost my place. Now, anyway, I'll start somewhere. It says, by the way, that he came... By the same shall he return, and shall not come into the city, saith Yahweh. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. And you know, just, just as a real quick uh, snippet, Yahweh promised David that he would be with Israel, because David followed him. And we see that this promise was multi-generational. It wasn't just for David. It was for, for those who would come after David. You know, I think that's such an important point. Hundreds of years, we still see Yahweh keeping a promise for David's sake. 
And it came to pass that night that the angel of Yahweh went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrian a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his mighty one, that Adram Melech and Sharezer, his sons, smote him with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Asarhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. So we see here two devastating events to Sennacherib. Number one, the angel of Yahweh, which we believe was Yahshua, obliterated the Assyrian army, just obliterated all that was there. After this happened, Zanacharib looked around, saw the dead corpses, saw the horrible atrocity that occurred to him, and he decided to go back home to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian army, where one day he was in his temple worshiping his false mighty one, Nisroch, the Assyrian god of agriculture, by the way. They were polytheistic, like most were. And we see here that his two sons assassinated him where he stood. So this marked the end of Zanacrib and also the threat to the people of Judah. Let me ask you a hypothetical question for a moment. Let's assume that Hezekiah would have followed in the evil ways of his father before him. Do you think the result here would have been different? Do you think that the angel of Yahweh would have come down with power and obliterated the Assyrian army if Hezekiah was as defiant as his father before him? Well, I think we all know the answer. They would have been obliterated instead by the Assyrian army. And they would have been taken captive and they would have been removed from the land just as Samaria, just as the land of Israel was before them. They would not have been rescued. You know, I believe very strongly that it was because of Hezekiah's devotion. It was because of his leadership. It was because of his dedication. It was because of his resolute faith that Israel was allowed to remain in the land, Israel being the land of Judah, that they remained and they they even prospered under Hezekiah. You know, this same lesson applies to us. When we follow Yahweh, we're going to be blessed When we don't, we won't. It's that simple. And you know, I not only share that with the adults here, but also the youth in the room. It's important to realize that when we do it Yahweh's way, good things happen. When we do it man's way, bad things happen. It's not complicated. But you know, it's amazing. I've seen so many people that they come in and they just do it their own way. And then they wonder, why is my life so miserable? Why do I have so many issues? Why do I have so many problems? Or the answer is not that hard. It's because you're doing it your way. If you want to be blessed, if you want to prosper, really prosper. I'm not talking about the health, wealth, and prosperity junk that we hear. No, I'm talking about really prosper, being happy, blessing us in in meaningful ways, not just wealth, which, you know, frankly, it's not always a blessing anyway. A lot of people have wealth. They wish they had no wealth because of all the everything that goes along with it. But, you know, if we simply follow Yahweh, and again, I speak not only to the adults, but the youth. You know, because we're seeing a lot of our youth grow up, our teenagers. And, and by the way, I was really, really impressed with all our youth and teenagers during the feast. They did a really, really good job. We really did. And I think we're seeing some good youth in, in this assembly. And, you know, I want to continue to see that, in, that improvement and embracing of Yahweh's word. Because, truthfully, that is where we're going to find our blessings. Just like we see here with Hezekiah, we're going to follow Yahweh. If we're going to do it his way, we're going to be blessed. If not, we're not. You know, the concept of blessings and cursings is nothing new. You know, we find this in the Old and New Testaments. You know, we find through 1 Timothy, Yahweh once it says all men to be saved. But, you know, Yahweh doesn't necessarily determine that, does he? Yahweh's done everything within his power to, to make that happen. You know, he's given us his son. He's given us the most precious thing he could ever provide and the blood of his son But still, it really isn't up to Yahweh. It's up to us. You know, I'm a very big advocate of free will. And uh, in the Old Testament, Yahweh told Israel, he says, look, he says, I've set before you life and death. He says, choose life. 
But whether we choose life or not is completely up to us. If we choose life, we're going to, be, we're going to find life. But if we choose to rebel and do it our way, we're going to find death, and we're not going to find blessings. Well, I pray that we've learned a few things about Hezekiah. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. And again, coming back from the feast, I'd just like to thank everybody who worked hard on making the uh, recent feast such a special time. May Yahweh bless you.